And so then we move on to Revelation chapter 21, and we go from that very bleak picture of that final throne judgment, and we get one of the clearest and most glorious pictures of the eternal state of what heaven will be. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And so this will be an entire new heaven, new galaxies, and a new earth, and we will have redeemed, glorified bodies. Heaven is going to be so real. It's not just going to be us in some spirit realm sort of floating around. It's, it's going to be more real than you can ever imagine. New galaxies, new universe, and a new earth. It says the first heaven and first earth passed away. The psalmist said, God will fold up the universe, the world, like a garment, like some clothing, and he'll just toss it aside and he will change it, like a man changes clothes. It's just amazing. God made the first heaven and earth in seven days, uh, and, and now, or six days, he rested on the seventh. Who knows how long it'll take him to make this? It could be in an instant. We don't know. It says, there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city. This is amazing. I saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The bride here you're going to see is not just the city. It's not saying the city marries Jesus and the city marries God, uh, but the bride, the city, the city is described as the bride and she takes on the characteristics of all the redeemed, right? From the first person ever saved, either Adam or Abel, all the way to the last person saved, all the redeemed are in this city. And so she takes on those characteristics. You're going to see that. And this is really showing us the great end of man, that we're going to have real communion with God. We're actually going to see the unveiled glory of God says, I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. You see Moses in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, I believe. Uh, but read Exodus 25. They built a tabernacle so that God might dwell among them. They built a temple for the same reasons. These were uh, earthly shadows Revelation's now revealing the heavenly eternal reality. It says the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they will be his people and God himself will be among them. We're going to dwell with him in perfection. There's no sin here. It says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death because the curse is gone. Sin is gone. The wages of sin is death and sin is done away with. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. They're gone. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. You know, it was said of Jesus that everyone was marveling at the gracious words that he said all the time. These are such gracious words that the Holy Spirit gives us uh, to encourage us no matter what we're going through. Like, this is what we're being prepared for to glorify God and spend eternity in the unmitigated presence of God and Christ and real communion with him. He said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Once again, scripture is the interpreter of scripture. These words are the words of God. They are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
He is that I am. He is the eternally existent one. He says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. I believe that's a gospel call right there if you read it. I'll give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life. God will give to the thirsty eternal life. Read Isaiah 55. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and and delight yourself in the abundance of God. And it says it's a free gift. It's a gift that God will give you. He'll give it to you without cost. It'll be without price. Isaiah 55 says it's the water of life. And Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Isaiah 55 and Jesus both point you towards repentance and belief, repenting and believing the gospel. Isaiah 55 and what Christ did, and what I believe this is, is calling you to repent and believe the good news, receive eternal life. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, those who have received the free gift of the water of life, have also received a gift of faith, and we are the overcomers. It's an amazing gift. I mean, I I need to back up. I glazed over that. Shameful. I will be his God and he will be my son. You know, I suffer with jealousy. And every time I think about heaven, I always think of everyone who's going to be above me. And will God even have time for me and this and that? And then I realize how silly that is. I'm going to be God's son. He's infinite and omniscient. I'll have all the attention I need from him. I'll have everything. Every desire will be fulfilled by him. And I won't have any desires that, he's, that he doesn't fulfill. Every, everything at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, and all my desires will be holy, and they will seek to glorify him. It will be a state of perfection. Then another warning, it says, but for the cowardly, and I think that's important, it puts the cowardly first, but it says the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Once again, very clear what hell is. And it starts with the cowardly. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of my words in this wicked generation, he'll be ashamed of you. Cowardliness is a sin. It's something we need to pray that the Lord would grant repentance from. We need to be growing in courage and boldness, all based on the grace of God. And unbelief, we need to be growing in our belief. And we don't want to be abominable murderers or even liars. All of this, if we're walking in this, if we're practicing that, if we're living according to that, if we're not born again, if you're not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you will have your part in the second death, which is the lake of fire. So a strong warning there, and it's really against a a, a white background, not a black background. This is a very, you know, gracious and loving chapter of the Bible, but it's also a warning. And I think it's important, like Jesus said, don't take uh, your pearls and throw them before swine. There's many people that go out in the world and they just want to say all the good things of the Bible to everyone and all the gracious words and all the promises of this city. Well, this is for the few that are on the narrow road. This is for those who are children of God. And we don't want to take these promises and just appropriate them to whoever. So I think that's why this warning is right in the middle of all these glorious promises. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, the wife of Jesus Christ. I love this here. He says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, Jerusalem 
coming down out of heaven from God. And what you're going to see in a minute is the holy city Jerusalem takes on the characteristics of all the redeemed of all time. It goes back to ancient Israel and then it goes to the church. And so the holy city, right, where it says, you know, I'm going to show you the bride. It's not that Jesus is marrying the city. It would be like if I said, hey, I'm going to take you to John's house and I'm going to take you to go see John. And we go to John's house. It's not like you think the house is John, but you you understand. I don't have to explain it to you. John's in the house. I think it's the same concept. He showed me that holy city. Come, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So you go to the bride's house. You go to the holy city and Jerusalem literally coming down out of heaven from God. So I think it's pretty clear that in the new heavens and new earth, there will be galaxies, there will be the earth, and we'll be able to roam around the earth for God's glory and his purposes. And then there will also be a capital city for perhaps special fellowship. I mean, this is just amazing. And really, when we look at the contrast, that's probably why, or I shouldn't go outside of what scripture says, but look, the Antichrist is building a city, right? Mystery Babylon is building a city. All these things are in contrast. They're trying to fulfill, you know, uh, all these things that Jesus is fulfilling through scripture, right? The devil wants people to probably just build civilization on new planets, and he might even call that the new heaven and the new earth one day in some sort of deception. Because deep down, yes, we want new heavens. We want new earth. All creation groans under the curse. And this is really what's been promised to the redeemed. But you can't get there through human efforts or building a tower or building a spaceship or anything like that. The new heavens and new earth come by grace through faith in Christ. And so he shows him the holy city, Jerusalem. And he says, here, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And it says this city has the glory of God. I believe the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. And for all eternity, the glory of God will shine throughout the entire new heavens and new earth, but it will shine brightest in his sun. Now it says her brilliance was like a very costly stone, a stone of crystal clear jasper. I mean, everything in the new new city, just so you know, everything in the city of Jerusalem appears to be transparent. Even the golden roads, you'll see, they're transparent like glass. I believe because God is the light, right? He's going to shine through everything, right? It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and the names were written on them, which are the names, this is important, of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. So you have the 12 sons of Jacob, from them came Israel, and many redeemed Jews, and all the nation of Israel will be in heaven. We're going to be in heaven with Jesus, who's a Jew, and Noah, and Daniel, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and all the 12 apostles were Jewish. Like, this is, this is the Jewish God, Yahweh. It's his new heavens and new earth. And so there were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three on the south and on the west. And the wall of the city, this is important now, you see, um, I believe that Israel is separate from the church in many ways, but it's also similar to the church. They're both a redeemed people. They're both separate. They both started with 12 people. And let me explain that. So there are some, some uh, differences and separations between, of course, the nation of Israel and redeemed Israel and the church. But there's also a great coming together, almost like the Trinity. The Son is not the Father and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but they're all one God. 
they're all fully God. They're, they're separate, but they're all fully God in a mysterious way. And so it says the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is why I believe the 12 apostles of the Lamb and the 12 uh, sons of Jacob that started the nation of Israel, the, the fathers of the 12 tribes, are those 24 elders. Which is amazing because that means in John's vision, John is seeing himself as an elder, but that's a very small miracle compared to what God has done, right? But it's an interesting thought, right? If he's one of those elders, but the 12 apostles of the Lamb are on the foundations and on the gates are the 12 tribes of Israel. So you see perfectly, the bride is a culmination of all the redeemed people in this city and it glorifies Israel, what God did in Israel, and it glorifies the church and what God did with the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And I believe that's why the Lord chose 12 apostles. It's just like the 12 tribes. of it's, it, There's a correlation there. And so the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And God is the owner of this city, and God will own us for all eternity. We will be his possession. The Bible calls us his treasured possession. Song of Solomon, which is talking about a glorious love relationship between a husband and wife, which the relationship we're going to have with God through Christ is like husband and wife says, my beloved is mine and I am my beloved's. I mean, we're going to possess God and he's going to possess us. It is going to be incredible. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as its width. It's a massive cube. And he measured the city with the rod. Fifth, 1,500 miles its length and width. That's ridiculous. And height are equal. He measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. It says the material of the wall, the material that the wall was made up was jasper. And the city was pure gold like, this is important, clear gas. You see, the glory of God is just going to shine. We're going to have new faculties. You're going to have new eyes to behold God. You're going to have new ears to listen to his voice and the glorious worship music of heaven, a new sense of smell, new sense of touch. You wouldn't even be able to handle heaven if you saw it right now. You'd probably drop dead in terror. But there you're going to be able to hang on with your glorified body. It's, I love the word. It's going to be unmitigated grace and glory, right? Just like hell is the unmitigated wrath of God, this is unmitigated grace and glory. And it's, we can't even imagine it. It's going to blow our mind. We're going to need a new mind just for it to be blown. Like, <laughs> and so the, the gold is like clear glass. It says the foundation stones of the city were all adorned with every kind of precious stone. Now, there's some disagreement. We're not going to go into it of exactly what the stones are. But the bottom line, they're precious stones. I'm sure they're going to be green and red and blue and all manner of colors that the light of God shines through, right? And it's just amazing how he'll be the light in the new heaven and new earth and everything will will shine through his glory through things. And I believe his his glory will shine brightest through Christ, but it will also shine through us. We're we're trophies of his grace, Romans 9 says. And so the first foundation is jasper, then sapphire, the third is chalcedony, the fourth is Emerald, the fifth is Sardonyx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the tenth Chrysophrase, the eleventh Jacinth, the twelfth Amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. I love this. Check this out. Hold on. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates was a single pearl. That's a 1500 mile pearl, right? If the gate is the, if the height and all the width and everything is the same, this is a 14 to 1500 mile high pearl. 
Like the biggest building on planet Earth right now, I think is like barely a mile. Like this is ridiculous and it's all one beautiful pearl. And I just, I can't help but see a correlation here. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven, and this is talking about that, the capital city, is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. But when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. And it talks about that person who finds Christ and finds salvation and realizes he's more important than everything. But that imagery is there. There's 12 pearls and the gates are a single 1400 mile plus pearl. The street of the city is pure gold, like transparent glass. So that glory of God can shine through it. I saw no other temple in it. This is very important for the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb are its temple. The whole new heaven and new earth is 100% sanctified. Mankind, we're going to be, if we're there, we're going to be glorified. We're going to be completely sinless, which means if you read the Bible, no one can look at God at any time. Nobody can actually be in the unveiled uh, presence of God. Moses put a veil over his face. Even the apostles, they saw the glory of God veiled through the humanity of Christ. This is the fullness of God. It doesn't mean we'll know every single thing about God because then we'd be equal to him. It doesn't mean we'll see all the glory of God. That would, that would probably be impossible, maybe. But we're going to see as much as you could possibly imagine seeing, and we're not going to have a desire to see anymore. Like we're going to see whatever we can see. And I believe we'll grow in our knowledge of God for all eternity. I believe we'll keep growing and learning more about the glories of God for all eternity and becoming, you know, uh, maybe not more like him, but just learning and growing and worshiping and serving him forever. But it's very important to understand the concept of a temple or a tabernacle is that the outside is unclean because we're in a sinful and fallen world. And so they would sanctify and separate the tabernacle and the temple and where God was going to dwell. But in the new heaven and new earth, you don't need that. The Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The entire creation is sanctified and perfect. God can be in it and, and not be defiled, and we can look upon God, it says. It says, the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. The glory of God is the illumination and the light of the new heavens and new earth. And all of that glory is focused into the lamp right? Just like the, the, the light of a light bulb is in the lamp, right? Its lamp is the lamb, the mediator between God and men. Jesus doesn't change. He, he was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a king. In eternity, he will be a prophet, priest, and king for all eternity. He'll be fully God, but he'll also be fully man. And, and, and he'll be the lamp and the glory of God that illumines him will just light up the new heavens and new earth says the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now you have to understand all things are for God and his glory and in the church and in the redeemed, there is neither Jew nor Greek. We're not going, we, we don't, our identity is in Christ. However, in the new heavens and new earth, when I take this verse and I just take it literally, there will be for the glory of God, just like there's no two snowflakes that are the same for the glory of God, there still might be a, a, a glorious separation. I, I don't want to say like, like a, an actual separation, right? 
But like, for example, I believe the nation of Israel and the church were saved at two different times. They're both part of the bride. They're both in the city. They're both going to worship God. And yet there's distinctions. You know what? I want to take back that word. There's no separations in the new heaven and new earth. There is distinctions, just like there's distinctions between two snowflakes, just like there's distinctions between the Father and the Son. There's glorious distinctions. And so there might be nations, and well, there will be. It says nations, and kings bring their glory into it. And that the glory of a king is his, his subjects, his citizens. Just like Jesus said in the parable of the talents, you've been faithful in a few things, or three or five things, I'll make you ruler over five cities. And so there could be some glorious distinctions. Let me give you an example. There could be distinctions according to geography. Hey, you're from Switzerland. Me too. I, I was saved in Switzerland. Oh, no, no, no. I got saved in Ohio, but I was raised in Switzerland. Hey, you're from Ohio. I was saved in Ohio. Me too. I got saved right by this building. <gasps> me too. That's where God saved me. And it's based on geography. It could also be based on time. <gasps> You're from Switzerland in the 1600s. Yeah, so am I. Like there could be these distinctions that are glorious and God can do, God is doing a, a billion mysterious things that are not revealed in scripture that will be revealed in the new heaven and new earth. So there could be these distinctions there uh, for his glory that don't separate us. They're just distinct, just like the 144,000. They're not separate from the Jews, but they're distinct from the Jews, right? And so in the daytime, so, so there's, you know, they walk by the light of the lamb. That's the biggest thing. The lamb brings them together. In the daytime, it says, for there will be no night there. There's no night. It's just perpetual daytime, perpetual light, perpetual divine revelation. It says its gates will never be closed. I love that. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Now, it says into it, and that's why I brought up earlier. It might be that the capital cities, just for certain times of the year or certain times of eternity, if you can even call it time, right? I don't know. I, I think it will be based on time, but might not. Um, but that capital city, they bring the nations into it. It says, nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. Another warning. In the midst of all these glorious, amazing promises, uh, you know, just another warning. Nothing unclean. No one who practices, lives, walks in abominations and lying will ever come into it. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is a place for the redeemed. This is a place for the few on the narrow road. The plate. This is just for those Christ has died for and, and, and for all who have believed and all who will ever believed based on the sacrifice of Christ. And so now we've arrived at the final chapter in the book of Revelation. It has been an amazing journey. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river of eternal life. Jesus said, you know, this is a picture of eternal life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. On either side of this river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. This is why I believe there'll be time in heaven. I believe there will be months and years, and God will generate reality and generate time uh, for all eternity for us. And it'll be a work of God that he does and will glorify him. It says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now you might, you know, be asking yourself, what do you mean the healing of the nations? This is perfect. New heavens, new earth. There's no sorrow or mourning. When it's talking about that, it 
it actually has the idea of like aromatherapy that when you eat this fruit it is it is increasing your senses it is it is increasing uh the response it is it is joyful it's like you eat it and and it, it you know enlivens your eyes and and so i know it, when we think of heaven in our human faculties we think it's just going to be one baseline level of extreme happiness um there's going to be ups and there's going to be baselines but but you know there it, it doesn't like our view of perfection isn't probably God's view of perfection. And what I mean by that is, for example, you might think in heaven you could never get hot because that wouldn't be perfect, right? Whereas in reality, I would say, well, you know what? If you could get a little sweaty and a little hot, even if for a second, technically that's uncomfortable. But if I were to jump into a glorious pool of water that God created, I would then be more happy than if I had never gotten hot in the first place. And so the way God thinks of perfection and the way God thinks of happiness and all these things, uh, heaven might not look exactly like what we think. It might literally radically blow our minds, the feelings and the sensations of what God provides in this fruit and in this reality. Um, a lot of this is sanctified imagination. It's pretty clear in scripture certain things, but other things I think are left to our imagination for the glory of God. I mean, you know, eye is not seen nor ear is heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so then it goes on to say there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God. So there's no curse because curse uh, the curse was the wrath of God for our sin. That's done away with. It says the throne of God and the lamb will be in it. This is it, beloved. The thing that makes heaven heaven is the lamb. It's it's the eternal presence of God. It says his bond servants will serve him. We will serve him for all eternity. They will see his face. No man can look upon God and live. He will enlarge our faculties and cast our sins so far away that we can literally see the unveiled face of God. His name will be on our foreheads. I mean, literally, we will be owned by God and we will have a boldness. Perfect love casts out fear. So when we go to God and we go to Christ and we enjoy fellowship with them, we won't be embarrassed. Like now I'm embarrassed when I fall into sin and, you know, perfect love casts out, you know, fear, but I don't have a perfect love, right? I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm still, you know, I still have my flesh. And so when I fall into sin or even when I don't, there's this sense, right? This communion with God is not perfect perfect right now. When our flesh is done away with, we will see him. Job said, I know that in the end, my redeemer lives and I will see him in the flesh. David wanted to see God. He said, I'll be happy when I awake in the presence of God. This is the joy. Like think of the most beautiful, stunning, glorious thing you've ever seen on earth. God is the source of that. He will be a million times brighter and more beautiful. And so when we see his face, it is going to be heaven says there will no longer be any night and they will not have the need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them. And I believe that will be literal physical light, but also spiritual light. The Bible says knowledge, prophecy, even faith will pass away. It'll be done with. But love is eternal and, and, and love never fails. So the, the faith I have right now, one day I won't need it because I'll be able to lay my hands on Jesus Christ. And that's going to be amazing. So will you beloved. And, and what the faith we have right now is real and it's an anchor and we, we lean on Christ and we look to God, but one day we won't need it. We'll be in the presence of God. These great prophecies in the book of revelation are amazing, but one day they'll come to pass and we won't need them anymore because they'll have come to pass. And so God will illuminate us spiritually and physically, 
and they will reign forever and ever. We will be servants, slaves of the Most High God, and yet we will also be kings reigning forever. What, what an eternal glory we've been called to. It's such a gift. He said to me, these were, once again, these words are faithful and true. Woe to the people, and there are thousands of them right now, that continually just cast doubt on the word of God. These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Oh, what a glorious promise. These things, it's real prophecy. It's really going to come to pass, and I can't wait for the day. And if I'm not alive for it, I can't wait for the day Jesus comes back anyway, right? Behold, I am coming quickly, Jesus says. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. There's your other promise. You'll be blessed if you heed the words of the prophecy of this book. Take them seriously. They are your life. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, don't do that. Don't worship me. Don't worship angels. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Now that word, once again, can mean messenger, and here he calls himself a prophet. So this is probably just a messenger, a glorified saint. And so he's saying, don't worship me. I'm, I'm of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. And then he said, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. I love it. The time is near. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Back in the book of Daniel, I think Daniel 8 or Daniel 10, he says, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days. And I think now he's unsealing that in the book of Revelation. He says, this is going to come to pass. The time is near. Then he says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And let the one who is filthy still be filthy. He's saying, if, if you've already rejected Christ, if you've rejected the message, continue to do wrong, continue to be filthy. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You have fixed your place in eternity. But then it says, let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. It doesn't take away from the call to repent and believe. He's just saying, if this is your choice, you've heard the words of this prophecy and you've rejected them, eat and drink, for tomorrow you die. But if you've accepted them, practice righteousness and keep yourself holy and separate. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. The non-believers will get what they deserve. They will be judged based on the books at the great right throne judgment, and they will have different levels of heat and intensity in the lake of fire. Scripture is clear on that. Believers, everything we ever do, every thought we ever have, and every act of service that we've ever done, every word, this video you're listening to now, will be judged by he who has eyes like a flame of fire. He knows our motives. He knows whether or not I've been preaching this video to glorify myself or to glorify him. He knows the motives of our heart and he can unveil them. And, and all the works we've ever done will be put before him. And if they're not built on the foundation that is Christ and for his glory, they'll be burned up and we will suffer loss. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's just amazing. Jesus is God. 
the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who washed their robes. Remember Revelation 7, they've washed their robes and made them clean in the blood of the Lamb. And those who wash their robes have the right to the tree of life. They have eternal life. It's their right, not because they deserve it, because Christ deserves it and he's given it as a gift, but it's their gift. They have that right to the tree of life. They can enter by the gates into the city. Jesus was asked, he said, are just few people being saved? And he said, strive to enter the narrow gate for many will seek to enter and will be unable when once the master gets up and slam, shuts the door. And so the redeemed, those who wash their robe, they enter by the gates into the city, but it says outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral person, and the murderers and the idolaters, and everyone, and this is key, who loves and practices lying. There is a singular reason why men do not come to Christ, and Christ revealed it to us. They love sin. The problem isn't just that we have a sin nature. The problem isn't just that we sin. It's we love our sin. Jesus said the light has come into the world, but men hated the light because their deeds are evil. And so the problem is it's for everyone who loves and practices lying. We practice sin because we love it. But blessed be God for those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, whom Christ entered his own creation and died upon the cross. He will bring them to this place. He will redeem them. He paid their price. The good shepherd will search for the sheep, will bring them into the sheepfold. All those chosen are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those chosen will be justified, sanctified, and one day glorified. It's amazing. It goes on to say, I, Jesus, has sent, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. So Revelation chapter 1 says this message is for the churches, and Revelation 22, for the churches. It is bookended by that. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David. Very important that you understand this. Jesus, the eternal God, the eternal second person of the Trinity, is the root. He is the creator. It was actually written in Isaiah, I believe chapter 11, that the Gentiles will trust in the root of David, right? He's the originator, okay? He's the originator of the line of David. He created uh, the Davidic line, right? But he's also the descendant of David. He's the branch of David. Jeremiah 23 talks about a righteous branch, and his name would be the Lord our righteousness. We hear about a root breaking off from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. So Jesus is the root, the originator, the creator of the line of David. He's also the branch. You see, he's fully God as the root and fully man as the branch and descendant of the line of David. He's the greater David, the bright morning star. Balaam prophesied in Numbers 24. I did a, a video. Did Balaam prophesy about Jesus? He says, I, I see him, but not now. This is thousands and thousands of years ago. The book of Numbers in the Torah, it's, it's written 3,500 years ago. It says, I see him, but not now. It's fuzzy. I, I behold him, but not near. A star will rise out of Jacob and crush the skull of Moab, the Moabites, the, the, that, those people of Jordan, those enemies of God. And so he is the bright morning star, the first star that comes up when the night is the blackest. And so uh, it's just amazing. He, he's the, that bright morning star, the star that arises from Jacob. Goes on to say the spirit, the Holy Spirit and the bride, the redeemed, the church say, come. 
and let the one who hears say, come. It's a call to repentance and belief. It's a gospel call. It's let anyone who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Go to Jesus. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Isaiah 55, ho, everyone who thirsts, uh, come, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money, your wages, your life efforts for what does not satisfy? Listen to me and delight your soul with abundance. And then it calls you to repentance. It says, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to me and I will have mercy on him. The way back to God, the narrow way is through repentance and belief in Christ. He goes on, and it's a free gift. God grants repentance. God grants faith. It's a gift. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Do not change the word of God. Jehovah's Witnesses do this. Mormons do this. And this is a prophecy. If you change the word of God, God will pronounce a curse, a plague upon it. And you see those those. Uh, you know, where we add the Book of Mormon to the Bible, we add that above the Bible, changing the words of God, like Jehovah's Witnesses, we create our own false translations. If you alter the words of God, you've just pronounced a massive curse and plague upon yourself. All the plagues which are written in this book, and we've gone through many of them, and all throughout the Bible, in Proverbs and Deuteronomy, it says, do not add to the words of God. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, don't take away from them. Now, this is not to, to discourage people who feel called by God to teach, preach, or pastor their church. We have to, we're going to have different opinions on the exact interpretation. That's going to happen with the book of Revelation. And that's why we don't hold, I'm not 100% dogmatic about everything I believe about the book of Revelation. I'm not 100% dogmatic of my interpretation. I'm 100% dogmatic that these are the words of God and we can't change them. And if I'm wrong on something, I need to change, not the word. The word's not wrong. If I get, if I disagree with this in any way, I'm wrong. And so, you know, very, very stern warning there. And if you take away from the words of this book, God will take away your part from the tree of life. That's You won't have eternal life. And from the holy city, you won't be redeemed, which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Mm, amen. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Oh, Lord God, it is such an honor that you have allowed me to understand your holy words. I don't even have the right to understand them. It is such a gift that you've allowed me to read them, that you've allowed me to teach them. I beg you, Almighty Father, to take the good of this series where I've explained your word and use that for your glory to build your kingdom to save souls and to sanctify the souls that you have been saved and edify them and build them up and keep them focused on you. Lord, I beg you for forgiveness for everything I've said that's false in this video. I'm unaware of it. And if I need to be made aware of it, let me know and I will repent of it. But for any mistakes I've made, any false teaching that's creeped in, oh my God, hear my cry. Do not let that affect the hearers. Hide them from my foolishness if I've erred at all on this video, Lord God. All things are for your glory, and so I would just beg you to use this video and this series for your glory. This has been such an honor and such a joy. Um, this is not work. This is the joy of my life. I love scripture, and to be able to teach it is great. I, I would love for you to email me or leave a comment on what you thought and if it's, if it's edified you at all. Thank you so much for listening.